The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter, post-draft edition. We're going to start looking at how the NFL shapes up uh, now that the major moves in the offseason have been made. We'll try to assess uh, which teams have gotten better, which teams have gotten worse. Talk a little bit about our draft grades. We graded every class, uh, so we'll get into that. Justice Mosqueda is here to talk about his pain, really. That's that's the, the primary thing that we are focused on, but he is a, a Packers fan and uh, noted NFL expert, so he's going to give us his take on all the drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers and everything going on in Green Bay. Uh, so we have a pretty full, pretty full show coming for you. I am Chris Corman, uh, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We cover the NFL for for the win, uh, fellas. What'd you make at the end of the draft? We we talked to everybody on Friday. We had a little live show uh, that was fun. Uh, then there were many more rounds. <laughs> Friday night we I, were up until midnight, like trying yep. to figure out. Before we get to the draft, before we get to the draft, Chuck, did you just hit a double in MLB The Show? Because I I definitely heard the the first base coach telling you to get to. My controller's in my bed, and I sat on it, and like right before we started recording, I was playing it, and then when I sat on my controller, it it restarted the game, and then, uh, yeah, he definitely just heard my controller barking at me to keep running. All right. <laughs> Amazing. That's a, good e- that's a good ear, Steven. That's a- yeah. I, that's I heard you laughing in the background. I was like, oh, Steven definitely just heard that. <laughs> oh, but the draft. You know what happened the other day? I turned on my Kindle. I, I read books on it. And you have uh, a Kindle? Yeah. I don't know why. I'm, it's just like 10 years ago. But – and the, the SIS draft guide came up and it felt so good to just close it out <laughs> and never have to think about the draft again. Like I've already forgotten everything about the draft. Yeah. This, this year's draft, I feel like and we talked about it before, but I mean, so much of media, like so much of the media was in line with what actually happened during the draft. It kind of took away some of the normal draft excitement or, or draft day intrigue. I feel like, uh, and yeah, it's just it's glad to be done. But you know that means we can kind of start piecing together how these draft classes are going to fit the free agency classes and and what these teams might, uh, how these teams might perform uh, in the upcoming season. Did the later days go uh, the way you you thought, or was there more drama there? I mean, I, I couldn't really tell. Like it's just so the, the biggest drama for me on the last day was I just could not believe how many picks that there were. Uh, There's so many. I mean, by the, I, I thought by the end of the sixth round that we were about to be done with the draft. And then uh, it's like, nope, there's like 60 more picks that I have to go because I forgot about all the comp picks that happened at the end of the uh, sixth and seventh round, which just drove me crazy. Right. Do, do away with comp picks already. No more comp picks. Sign your players. And if you yeah. don't sign them, you don't get a reward for not signing your players. No more comp picks. I'm tired of it. Honestly, it that's, that's a great idea. Stop, stop dissent, like incentivizing not paying your players, you know? Right. That's you drafted those players. You're just going to use these comp picks on players that you're not going to sign in five years anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm anti-comp picks, and it has everything to do with us having to stay up for like an extra hour on Friday night. Doing <laughs> I think players is, I've never heard. I mean, I think it is a valid like observation when you're like us and you're looking at everyone drafted. Like most fans are saying, okay, who are the seven dudes my team got or eight guys or like 
three if you're the Seahawks this year. Like, so it's very much like, ah, we're adding a handful of new players. But if you look at the whole thing, like, this is a lot of players entering a league that is already unbelievably competitive. And like most of these dudes, if they have a chance to make the roster, it's because they're cheap. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, and that's how you build a team. So, uh, it's there's so much hype around this event, and it's, I mean, this is what the NFL does, right? They just build, build up everything to seem meaningful, and really, it's just anyone's guess what's going to happen with most of these picks. So that being said, let's talk about our best grades and worst grades. Uh, which which overall class did you hate the most? Uh, now, so like I, like when I said I had forgotten everything about the draft, I like was not exaggerating. Now I have to like, go it, it was up. the Texans. It was the Texans. Oh yeah, of and course. This- they drafted Davis Mills. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that class was just kind of an encapsulation of everything that's wrong with the Texans right now. I feel like, like your first pick of the draft was David Mills. Then you trade up for Nico Collins, who, you know, Michigan fans tell me that he's a nice receiver. I don't know. I've never seen him play. I'm never going to see him play. Uh, but you trade up to get him at the end of the third round, and you trade away, like, two fourth-round picks and an extra fourth round or a fourth and the fifth plus an extra fourth-round pick for 2022 to get that done. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the ESPN analyst guy for uh, – uh, who does NFL analytics? I'm forgetting his name. Seth something. He Seth was, Walder. Seth Walder. Yeah, he was saying that basically for where the Texans traded up to at the end of the third round, like literally right before the fourth round started, the amount that they gave up was essentially unprecedented in the history of the draft. And that's just for like a third receiver, Nico Collins. Uh, it was just really bizarre. And then they added another linebacker uh, to their defense, which I think brings them to seven or eight off-ball linebackers added this entire offseason. I just – I don't understand what the plan there. Uh, really weird first draft by Nick Casario. I know that obviously he didn't have the first or second round picks, and you have the, uh, you know, the cases with Deshaun Watson kind of looming over his head, but I just don't see how you can like what they did, even given the resources that they had uh, this weekend. It, it, I don't understand why we just didn't assume – Casario was going to be like Belichick's coaches that go on to be head coaches elsewhere. <laughs> and Scott Pioli, like these guys just, it, I don't know. It just helps Belichick's resume every time one of these guys gets a job and just falls flat <laughs> on their face. And that's what's happening with Houston. Like, I can't imagine a worse offseason for a team. Oh, it's been horrific. Uh, we'll get to that later, though. We're, we're going to talk about the worst and best offseasons. Uh, and the, our best draft classes i think we had three a's is that what we ended up with uh jacksonville ended up with an a minus uh because they that's trevor running back yeah Yeah, uh that's trevor and then after that they screwed it up by (laughs) picking a running back uh but we gave cleveland an a minus as well and then chicago obviously got justin fields got an a the carolina panthers got an a and the baltimore ravens got an a uh which one here? Which which class really stands out here for you guys? I love the Ravens class. Like I thought it wasn't just the players that they got, it was the right. fit. Like these are like Raven, like they just make so much sense. Even right. the Bateman one, which really isn't like a stylistic thing just because the Ravens don't have any receivers to compare to. But like he just if he is what I think he's gonna be and what like a lot of people I trust think he's gonna be, like Nate Tice is a big Bateman guy. 
I think that just like helps the receiving core just fall into place. And it's perfect for what Lamar does because Bateman is a guy that wins over the middle. But then the other picks, like the Quiddy Pay pick, any other team that would have drafted him in the first round, yeah, I probably would have given got, a bad got, trade. They got Jason Oway. There's right? Jason Oway. Uh, oh, God. Right. I, I, I'm mixing them up. <laughs> yeah. uh, big, big, 10, he, big 10 athletic, not productive edge rushers. That's- right, right, right. I, I, I've had trouble keeping those two throughout the process. But yeah, and like if you watch, there was like a clip going around on Twitter of Don Brown, the old Michigan defensive coordinator, talking about how he focuses on on, he doesn't really focus on pass rush moves when he's recruiting. He focuses on change of direction ability because he blitzes so much. Right. And I think that's how you kind of have to look at Owe when you're when you're analyzing him through the lens of the Ravens defense. Is he's not going to have to like beat def- uh, offensive tackles by himself. Right. It's- he's going to get help. He's going to run through running backs. He's going to as long as he's athletic and can move and agile. W- uh, Wink Martindale is going to find a way to get him to the quarterback. Right. Yeah, I mean that 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 is like the one organization, and we've talked about before that kind of gets the benefit of the doubt with picking OA just because their track record is so just absurdly strong with developing these these edge players and front seven guys. That I think you can feel kind of okay about him being productive early as he kind of figures out how to play the game. But I really like the Panthers draft, uh, and I just feel like if you had just swapped. Justin Fields for J.C. Horn at the top mm, of this. Oh, my gosh. It, it, this is coming off as, like, an all-time uh, draft class, at least in terms of, you know, pre-draft hype. Uh, but J.C. Horn's still a great player, and I think that's probably an indication of where they see their defense going, playing more press man than they did last year. Uh, you get Terrence Marshall Jr., Brady Christian to add help for Sam Darnold on the offensive line. Uh, but I really love what they did on day three. Uh Grabbing Chuba Hubbard, who I think is just kind of an upside swing at running back, because if he can get back his 2019 form, right. that's one of the most explosive running backs just straight up in the NFL uh, to go with Christian McCaffrey. And then getting Davion Nixon, uh, who uh, our proud justice liked, at not just the first round, but as like a top 12 player uh, in this draft class overall. Uh, getting him in the third round of the steal, and then Deontay Brown from Alabama – I mean, the guy weighs 360 pounds, and he's definitely got to lose some weight. But uh, just like a developmental prospect, I, I think that that's a pretty clean guy to get at that point in draft. So, you know, you would have loved to see them take the quarterback first. But overall, like, this has to be one of the best draft halls this year. And I, I would say about the horn thing, like, I was obviously upset they didn't take fields. But I think it is a good sign for the direction the defense is headed in. I know a lot of people are, like, saying, oh, they don't play a lot of press man. But I like that it seems that they realize you got to play press man in the NFL. You can't be playing this quarters defense every snap. Every snap, or you're gonna get torn apart. And then the Nixon pick, I think he just fits in perfectly for what they do on defense in terms of defensive lines and fronts. So yeah, I love that pick too. I like overall, I like the Panthers draft. I've been like kind of you know down on the Panthers on Twitter, but <laughs> that's just because of the Fields thing. He was right yeah. there. They could have had him. Yeah, I mean, now Christensen, he can be a he can turn out and be a starter at some point. Like that's a he better be a starter like week one because they don't got nothing at left tackle. So yeah. I'm hoping sooner rather than later. Not shocked that the Greg Little pick did not work out. <laughs> All right, so let's talk uh, big picture. The entire offseason, you guys 
we had Steven do the <laughs> the negative one. He did the teams that uh, had a terrible offseason. Charles picked his the five best off seasons. Let's uh, let's start with Chuck. Let's go. Let's go positive. Uh, yeah. And uh, Kansas City was your opening team. Uh, obviously, re- rebuilt the offensive line uh, after. After, as you described it, uh, watching it get run through like paper mache, uh, so that was a big rebuilding. And then New England was second, uh, and uh, they did this. I mean, they rebuilt the the offense basically entirely, uh, trying to to figure out what to do there. Uh, what did you like about these teams that you picked? Uh, uh, well, I like that these are teams that are. I guess their, their timeline says that maybe they should try to be competing now, right? Uh, and they just kind of went all in and, and just went for it. Like, but the Chiefs and their offensive line thing, uh, this is a drastically different group than the one that just played together a couple like right. a, a couple months ago where you have Joe Thune comes in on that five-year, $80 million contract, trade for Orlando Brown. You sign Kyle Long out of uh, retirement. You get back uh, the LDT, the, the, the guard that took last year off to help people with COVID. Yeah, uh, you draft Duvernay. Yeah, you draft Creed Humphrey with your first pick in the draft, and like based on where Creed Humphrey went, the, it, there's no reason that he should have been on the board uh, for the 63rd overall pick. I mean, just in terms of his whole profile, the, he's about as clean of a like center or interior line prospect to come across, and he was just sitting there. Uh, you grab him, and then at the end of the draft, you take Trey Smith, who is just the upside swing of all upside swings, where. Yeah, like, dude, his injury history, there's a chance that he doesn't really pan out. But if he can get back to 100%, this is a guy that was being touted as, like, a top 50 guard prospect uh, before he got hurt. And honestly, like, a lot of his game reminds me of uh, Kelechi Assembly with just how powerful and how strong and explosive he is. So you, you have, like, sure things plus upside bets. And that, that Kansas City offensive line went from something that which is, like, a liability as the season closed. And obviously that was due to injury. But now they have depth on top of quality starting talent. And it's, it's going to be fun to just watch those guys work because, you know, Orlando Brown and Joe Thune, that's probably going to be one of the best, you know, left, left sides and offensive line in the league. And then uh, Creed Humphrey is going to battle his way into starting lineup perhaps. And you just have uh, a whole lot of talent coming back to that offense. And then for the Patriots, uh, I feel like if, if you go seven and nine with the cast that they went that they had last year, uh, you should probably be trying to just go all in and make upgrades because you're not that far from a playoff spot. And you went in, and you bought two tight ends, go get a couple of receivers. Uh, I really like the Christian Barmore addition in the second round of the draft. So uh, that's a team that's looking like that. You know, if they end up winning the AFC East this year, I don't think that anyone should be all that surprised. Wow. The uh, the other two you went with are the uh, the next two are Jaguars and Jets. I mean, obviously, this is Jags is, is basically purely Trevor Lawrence driven. Uh, the Jets did a little bit more to help, I and mean, they obviously got a quarterback at two, but also signed Corey Davis, uh, got some pass rush help. So these are two teams that have a little bit of a longer. Uh, you know, the, you you mentioned in the opening, like every team, a major part of winning the offseason is knowing where you really are in your process, right? And, and in your timeline of trying to win. These two teams are a little bit further behind, uh, but but you like how they're building. Your your final team was the Cleveland Browns. And I think we ended the season uh, really hitting on this point that it felt pretty unlikely that Cleveland was going to be as good again 
if they were going to give a ton of money to Baker Mayfield and really commit to him. But has this offseason changed what you think? I mean, what they've done in the secondary makes this defense look potentially really good. Uh, I, I just love what they did on the back end this year. Uh, because I, their secondary was kind of, I guess, a weakish spot for them last year. Uh, even though, you know, they did, they did have some nice performances, but we all know it's past offense, past defense. Like, how are you, what are you doing to get better at those things? And last year, they kind of went heavy on past offense with getting Austin Hooper and those two tackles uh, for Baker Mayfield. And then this year, you come back and you upgrade your past defense. And they got John Johnson uh, from the Rams, who one of the best safeties in the league. Uh, then they go out, get Troy Hill, bring him back from the Rams too. So you got John Johnson, Troy Hill from the Rams. You already have Denzel Ward on roster. Then you draft Greg Newsom in the first round. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just really making a commitment to upgrading your secondary and keeping yourself in play uh, as, as maybe you deal with some offensive regression uh, this year just in terms of overall efficiency. I think that's a really strong way to play it. Uh, and then they got Jeremiah Wusu Koromara from Notre Dame. I'm not sure what they see him as, whether it's a linebacker or a safety, but no matter where he plays, like that's just a level of playmaking that they didn't have uh, on their field before. And I think just when you look at you're going to have to beat Baltimore probably to get into the playoffs and to have someone like that fast and uh, that, that can maybe run with Lamar Jackson, some of these design runs that the Ravens do. Uh, it, it just seems like they're really gearing up to make a serious playoff push this year. And I think you, you do that by getting better at secondary. And, and that's what they spent a lot of energy on this offseason. If you like kind of look at them on the Rams timeline with Jared Goff, I, I would say this is their 2018 year. Yeah, yeah, Where, I, I definitely believe that. Because then they have to pay Baker Mayfield, like eventually. They had, like that. Obviously, it probably had some impact on what they could do in free agency, but it didn't seem to have much of an impact because they signed guys. So I would think that this is the year where they really got to cash in, and after this, it's going to get a lot harder because building a team around Baker Mayfield, making what I assume is going to be league leading money, is going to be really hard. <laughs> I don't know how that works. Like. Yeah. And I know Stefanski is like an offensive genius or whatever, but so was Sean McVay, and he couldn't overcome Jared Goff. So, right. Uh, Steven, you're the teams that you felt did worst uh, in the offseason. Texans are number one. I feel like we've already talked about them. I mean, it's a total mess, everything about the franchise. J.J. Watt left. Uh, they alienated Deshaun Watson before we found out that Deshaun Watson appears to be a total monster who should never play again. Uh, just everything about this. There is no plan. It's just awful. Uh, Tennessee Titans were your number two team. And you also wrote an addendum piece uh, explaining why losing Arthur Smith and Johnny Smith uh, really might hurt this team a lot more than people realize. Yeah. When I started writing the the Titans thing, I looked into how, how well Tannehill played when he had multiple Titans on the field. And I didn't know that there was this massive split between like how well he played. And that's not just with play action. That's like just across all dropbacks. But it's really pronounced when you look at his play action. And we know like the Titans offense is basically based around play action passing. And now he's and Johnny Smith's gone. They have, I think, Anthony Ferkster and Jeff Swaim, two guys that <laughs> you've probably never heard of. And I don't think defense are going to be too worried about him. And. And then they bring in Todd Downing to replace Arthur Smith. And Todd Downing is not a big proponent 
the play action based on his one year in Oakland with Derek Carr. Derek Carr was third from the bottom in play action rate. I think only Ben Roethlisberger, who famously hates play action, and Josh McCown were below him. So this offense is going to look a lot different. And then you start to add in all the other losses. Like they lost both the Smiths, the play calling. They lost the tight end, the athletic tight end that was so important to their scheme. They lose Corey Davis, who I think was an underrated number two behind A.J. Brown. The defense was terrible last year, but and they got rid of a lot of guys, a lot of veterans from it. So now it's bad and young. (laughs) And like Derrick Henry is coming off 397 touches. That's a career high in the NFL. He's almost 30. Like there's a there's a time limit on on Derrick Henry. Like unless he becomes Adrian Peterson who just defied everything and even Adrian Peterson this is like when he started to deal with a lot of injuries during his career. Like right. I don't know how you can bank on Derrick Henry being that dude again in 2021. And then if Ryan Tannehill without these like schematic crutches that he's had with Arthur Smith, if he takes a a, a bit of a step back and the offense isn't a top 10 offense like I don't know. I think the Jaguars and the the Colts are probably the favorite, but the Jaguars might even be better than the Titans next year. Wow. Uh, Packers were your next team. We are going to have a ton of Packers talk uh, in our next segment, so I'll skip over that. The You finished with the Saints and Eagles, the two teams with uh, sort of the outlier, horrific salary cap situations. Uh, and I think fans of both teams might look at it and be like, well, actually, considering how bad mm-hmm. off we were – we might be okay, but you uh, you're seeing through that. <laughs> what is uh, I don't know if I'm like necessarily seeing through it, but I just didn't grade them on a curve. Okay, like Makes sense. we, it is their we, fault that they're in the salary cap. Right, there. we. It's a culmination of thing of missteps in the past, but right. it was still a terrible offseason. Like the Saints are <laughs> are obviously a worse team. They've kind of kept that veneer of being a good team because they've kept their starting lineup mostly intact. Right. But, like, there's no depth on this team whatsoever. The The receiving core is just awful if you look at it. Outside of Michael Thomas, who was dealing with injuries last year and may have been exposed as nothing more than, like, a really good possession receiver. I don't know your thoughts on that. But they also lost Drew Brees, who wasn't good, like, wasn't very good down the stretch. But he was still better than Taysom Hill and what our perception of Jameis Winston has been. I think Jameis Winston has a chance to be good. Obviously, I'm a Jameis fan but it's still a precarious quarterback situation and then they also had their coaching staff rated by the lions so the coaching staff is thinner the defense is thinner the offense is thinner they don't have their quarterback anymore like i don't know how far they're going to drop i still think they're going to be good enough to win eight or nine games but in that division they're not going to be better than the bucks so this was a giant step back and i think their window their super bowl window is officially closed if it was even open last year right uh, finishing up with the Eagles, uh, you mentioned in here that it's as much a PR thing as anything. You know, this right. the, the athletic story, which we discussed at length and, and just showing how sort of dysfunctional the front office is. And, uh, we gave their draft class a B plus, A minus, I think like finished seventh in our ranking. So, uh, we kind of liked what they did with the draft, but, uh, Nick Sirianni is the head football coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, so, and and Howie Roseman, you know, they did a good job to, to stack uh, first round picks for next season. But it, you know, it appears that Jeffrey Lurie may actually make some of the selections. Who's the owner of the football team? Right. Probably does not. 
know that much about football. So it's, I mean, honestly, I should have just copied. I should have just copied the athletic article and pasted <laughs> the Eagles' name. Like that's what this is based on. Like I actually right. thought they did a decent job considering what they were working with heading into the offseason. Like they had what like negative sixty million dollars in cap space, yeah, right? Right. And they picked up two first. They got a first round pick probably for Carson Wentz. It depends on how much he plays. Right. They got another first round pick by trading down in the draft. I thought they still ended up with the best receiver in the in the class. So like this sounds like positives, but the thing is, one, we don't know shit about the draft. We could totally be wrong about their draft picks. <laughs> right, That's right. very it's probably likely, actually. <laughs> Two, it sounds like Howie Roseman can be the GM for life if he wants to be. <laughs> Like that's the that's the worst part of the offseason. It wasn't the losses, the roster, right. you know, the purge of the roster. It wasn't any bad draft picks. It was the fact that Howie Roseman is not going anywhere and it's been it's basically confirmed. He's like best friends with the owner. And he could just hire whatever. He could just hire uh, a dude who is like never interviewed for another NFL head coaching job just just because. Like, I mean, right. And just, Nick Sirianni, like and we we overrate how like the impact a rookie class is going to have on a on a team. Like how often does a rookie class actually like move the needle for right, teams? Right. It's rare. It happens like every couple of years. So but if coaches. that doesn't happen for the Eagles, <laughs> but coaches matter. Nick Sirianni <laughs> matters. And like by all accounts, like Nick Sirianni does not is not qualified for this job. Right. And, like, the, right. Like I'm not hating on him. Like get that money. But if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm like looking at our next couple of years and just like, oh, God. But I will say this, that we were probably saying the same things when Doug Peterson was hired and they won a Super Bowl. So who knows? We were. We were. We graded. We we ranked that hire as the worst hire of the class, I think. So there it is. Uh, it wasn't us. That was Chris Chase. You, you Was it Chase? R.I.P. You attacked uh, a dead man. How I mean, dare you? <laughs> I, I agreed though at the time, so I'll take that. Uh, all right, let's talk about we, we're going to slander the Packers a bunch, and uh, we get into the Steelers too with Justice. I, the, there's sort of like a, a a turn there. They probably could have been on this this five team list. They're probably team number six. Yeah, they now were six. That, now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, uh, I don't know. Uh, R.I.P. Najee Harris because <laughs> that dude's about to get run into the damn ground this year. Yeah. No question. All right, so we're going to jump over with Justice, talk about talk all this through, and it uh, should be fun. Uh, now we're bringing in a good pal, old pal, uh, Justice Muscata. Uh, do set the edge with like once a year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a boutique podcast. It's, man. Yeah, right. It's a <laughs> you, it's it's never on schedule, never on time, but you need it when it gets there. Uh, Justice uh, used to do some work with our friend Eric Galco with the XFL, uh, who is now running the Shrine Game, just a master at uh, moving up the ladder there. And uh, we, we've known each other for a long time. And with uh, all the Packers stuff that's going on, uh, yeah, Justice is a big Packers fan. Uh, we decided to get to bring him on the show. So, Justice, how you doing? Doing uh, okay, relatively. <laughs> I mean... What, before, what else can I say? My quarterback we, wants a divorce. My wife left me. I don't know what. what <laughs> it's not. It's you, not the best, but uh, I'm here. I can off, get out of bed in the morning. Off air, you said you were at peace, and now you're you're kind of walking that back. He also, admitted, he, okay. he also admitted to having a manifesto of. <laughs> All right, I we settled on. I'm at homeostasis. I'm at where I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna change. The level that I'm at is how I will die. That's that's. <laughs> 
<laughs> how I feel good. about this right now is how I will feel about this on my deathbed. That doesn't mean That's anything. Where I'm at. None of that means anything. <laughs> uh, to me, to me, rel- Chuck, you know me. To me, that's peace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, for those of you, if, if you've been living under a rock, basically Aaron Rodgers uh, is trying to force his way out of Green Bay, and it's kind of hard to parse like what's from his camp and what's not from his camp. But uh, Jake Crumero has become involved. Jordan Love is obviously involved here, uh, and the Packers GM <laughs> Brian Goots. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Do you but. think Rodgers knows how? Oh, Rogers knows how. He's written that name on his wall multiple times. <laughs> he also he has for a nick- sure he also, knows how. He also calls him Jerry Krause, so maybe maybe he doesn't. Jerry Krause had rings. That's <laughs> that comparison doesn't apply. Yeah. The comparison does not apply. <laughs> okay, well, can we start at the beginning? Like, what? Let's do a little timeline. Like, where did this relationship with Rogers and the Packers sour? Uh, when they hired Mike McCarthy, who picked Alex Smith <laughs> over him. When he was the offense coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> Pretty sure that's that's the if you want to actually talk about the beginning, probably the beginning. Feel like he probably uh held a grudge from there. You know, he's a big grudge holder. Um I talked about this with uh Michael Kist earlier, but everything in like Rogers' entire life is like built off of like just being fueled by revenge down to like <laughs> Illinois gave him like a walk-on offer out of high school, his first start at California after going to JUCO. He beat the absolute crap out of Illinois. You know what I mean? Like these grudges are forever, and he wins them every single time. Didn't he have one? All, like on, when he got drafted, like they asked him about been, getting passed up by the 49ers, and he said that they're going to regret it more than I do, or something. Like, he grew up as yeah, he grew up as like a Joe Montana fan. Like that was his team. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, nothing about this is surprising at well, all. The, well, then the, he the, should the be. The grudge he- is going to be crazy. He should be happy that he's getting cucked by a more talented, physically talented quarterback than uh, if he's a Joe Montana fan. Wow. Maybe he'll go. Maybe he'll go. Did to you just say that about Joe? I want to be on the record. I did not say that about Joe. Physically, Martin. I mean, like athletically. Physically, gifting. no. Athletically, <laughs> I'm not going to say. We'll see. We'll see how much maybe. that athleticism goes for. We'll no, see, no. We'll see how far that athleticism goes. No, we'll I agree. See. He's not. He's not going to be good. I don't think so. But then, I think it goes back even further than McCarthy getting hired because wasn't there like a? Didn't it come out like McCarthy passed on him partly because like he didn't shake his hand or something? It was like some stupid. I uh, don't know. That was a long time ago. But I mean, they had interviews. I mean, he had the decision of Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers. He picked Alex Smith. So um, could you? Could you imagine putting the the future of your franchise in the hands of Mike McCarthy? I know the Cowboys basically did that, but <laughs> the 49ers are the 49ers. How like, I, I, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's, it, it's tough. It's a it's a tough scene. The, the one thing I want to remind people specifically about the draft that people do not understand because they don't have like reference for it. It doesn't get talked about enough. That was a different collective bargaining agreement. Right. When you're picking a number one pick, you had to come to the table and have contract discussions with that guy. And that's one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers fell down that draft. If Aaron Rodgers, that the Aaron Rodgers quarterback as a prospect coming out of California, came out in 2011 in a different collective bargaining agreement, he would not have fallen to 24. The type of prospect we're talking about with Aaron Rodgers in 2000, you know, what was it, eight? is totally different than we're talking about with Jordan Love in 2022. 
You know what I mean? No one was talking about Jordan Love potentially going number one and then, oh, the team doesn't pick him. It's a surprise to everyone. He starts falling down the draft in part because of contract negotiations. That is not the reality that we're living in with Jordan Love. That's what happened with Aaron Rodgers. So how much confidence should Packers fans, a.k.a. you, have that Jordan Love can be a competent quarterback if it does come to the point where Rodgers is traded? We haven't seen him throwing a pass since 2019 at Utah State, and his best year was 2018. So we're kind of living off of 2018 Mountain West film at this point, if we're talking about optimism. Um, he was inactive the entire season, including the playoffs, uh, to Tim Boyle, who they let walk and sign with the Detroit Lions. He might not even make the team. So, uh, <laughs> What do you think they were doing during that? Like, do you, is, is there any sense of what was happening with Jordan Love during this this period where he was and I feel like, hey man, if the front office is going to play this game where they're like, yeah, Rogers retire, then how'd they get strong armed into not having him active during games? You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to do it, at least do it the damn thing. All right. Wait. So do you think that Rogers had played a part in him not being active? So I don't know that for a fact. Right. Right. But but that would I think it would make sense. Man. Between between that and then not only that, but the fact that he had a big transition he was going to have to make coming into the NFL from the offense that he was in anyway. And we already had, you know, everything that involved with COVID. If, if there were if this were a normal year, maybe, you know, if it were a normal year with the actual training camp in 2020, maybe Jordan Love is active. You know what I mean? But a lot of yeah. weird things happened this year. So I think, like, you're right about Mike McCarthy, but I'm wondering where – when do you think the Packers should have parted ways with him? Like, obviously, he won a Super Bowl, and that made things better. 2014 NFC Championship game. Easy. Right after it? Immediately. On the field. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was an awful game. That was such a bad game for McCarthy. It's been all yeah. downhill since then, basically. <laughs> they fired him at a home game because he lost to Josh Rosen. <laughs> I want you. I want. I want everyone to remember this. There's a lot of moments that people seem to forget because it's just like, you know, it's a Aaron Rodgers MVP sandwich, and there was a lot of stuff in between there. You know what I mean? But right. yeah, he lost to Josh Rosen at home, and he got booted. He was like a double digit favorite at home, and I think I think they were like, dude, the city of Green Bay might burn down if we do not fire him right now. So. <laughs> Because that was a big thing, too. Remember coming into this? Everyone was like, you know, Packers, legacy franchise. They don't treat coaches like this. They're going to let him go through the entire season. And then he lost to Josh Rosen. They're like, dude, we have to pull the cord. We have to pull the parachute right now, this very second. So what, what do you what do you make of Rodgers' demands uh, of getting rid of the general manager? Like, is that a reasonable request for him to make? And, like, should Packers fans back him up on that? I mean, when he when he is telling you, I would rather go to Denver with a general manager who's never been a general manager for an NFL game before. Not one. He was available in the last hiring cycle. Or the Raiders, where Mike Mayock was on television before he was a general manager. Or San Francisco, where John Lynch was on television before he was a general manager. I think his opinion of what Gutekunst is putting around him right now is not high. I I think that's fair to say. I don't know if he actually wants... Good it comes to be fired. I think he just wants to be gone. I think he's just done. He's just over it. I mean, do you guys remember the presser after the season? Like they lost in the NFC championship game and they were asking him questions. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to be here next year. You know what I mean? I, I think he's just moved on. And I think the way the Packers operate are 
it's very different than everywhere else in the league. Like when, when Casey Hayward, when uh, Micah Hyde, even this offseason, Corey Lindsley, when they come to you with an offer and they say, Hey, we're going to try to get in on an early extension. You know, it's going to be a quote unquote player or a team friendly contract, sign it or don't. If you don't sign it, you're going to hit free agency and we're not even going to give you an offer because you are now the enemy and we don't want to drive up your bargaining price. Like they operate in that kind of a mindset. Um, it's just a different t- kind of franchise. I think they're going to try to play hardball. I don't think they're going to going to give in to you know what Rodgers wants, and I think he's probably going to retire. Um, and if Rodgers wants revenge, the way to get revenge on Green Bay: retire for a year, go on Jeopardy, let them go through the entire 2022 off season, load up your roster, get right up on the salary cap, right, and then unretire. Come back and make them scramble and try to figure out $25 million they have to account on the on the cap. And not only that, are they going to start Jordan Love in 2021 and then go back to you in 2022? No, they're going to trade you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going to try to get revenge, the way to do it, take the year off, right? Go do whatever you want, hang out on Jeopardy, do some interviews, whatever you want. Come back in 2022, completely derail the Packers franchise and force a trade. Like if you're going to be messy and you're playing against and your enemy is a franchise that gets messy and does not drive up, you know, the price of free agents, et cetera. They don't even give contract offers to guys who walk away. That's the way to do it. Right. What I want to happen is I want I want Rogers to retire, do the Jeopardy thing. And then the Jeopardy people are like, oh, no, Rogers might go back next year. Let's bring in a young backup host who can take over for Rodgers. And it, Russell, just, Russell just, Wilson. <laughs> Russell Wilson. Seahawks Twitter in shambles. But no, like I, I wonder if Rodgers, if he leaves and goes to Jeopardy, do you think that's the end of him as an NFL player? Because then you do kind of burn that bridge as for Rodgers, you burn that Jeopardy bridge and maybe you never get it back. And I wonder if that, I don't know if, how much he actually cares about Jeopardy or whether he's using this as just leverage, but I don't know, maybe. I mean, he said he wants to do Jeopardy like while playing football, right? He right. thinks that's possible. I th- I mean, does Aaron Rodgers' life revolve around Jeopardy? I'm sure there's always, there's going to be other game shows that will be willing <laughs> to take him on. I'm sure, I mean, look, Michael Strahan's hosting uh, like a, a talk show, right? I mean, why couldn't Rodgers do that? I mean, at the end of the day, Rogers is rich as hell. His fiance is rich as hell. It'll get figured out. It'll, he'll he'll be fine. I'm not really worried about Aaron Rodgers' you know post retirement life. I think he'll figure it out. So I wonder. I'm wondering what the exit strategy would be if Rogers. Let's say he doesn't have this 2020 year where he's MVP. He has another year where Ben Baldwin's writing you know pieces about how he's not that good anymore. Does he go after the GM like the way he's doing? Or maybe is he going after LaFleur instead? Or did that last season kind of like keep LaFleur off limits because of how successful they were? Well, I think he probably has a better relationship with LaFleur than, you know, yeah. Mark Murphy or, or Gutekunst just based off of how things are phrased right now. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. He certainly wouldn't have the same type of leverage if he wasn't coming off of an MVP season back-to-back NFC championship games, which, again, I have to remind you guys, He's coming off of an MVP season, off of back-to-back NFC Championship games. Like, this never happens. This guy's never available. Teams make these guys happy. The Packers are the only franchise where they have to beg Hall of Fame quarterbacks to keep playing for them. You know what I mean? They operate different than everyone else. So if you said that if, if a free agent 
didn't take a, a team friendly deal, they'd become the enemy. Uh, what's the thinking with Rogers? Like if him saying, Oh, I don't want to be here anymore. Why isn't he just the enemy? And they made whatever good trade they could at the draft. Like what, why are they risking this continuing to devolve as a situation and make everyone look bad? I think they're looking at it as like an easy transition of power, but it's not an easy transition of power. I think their whole thing is, yeah, we're going to spend, you know, Rogers legs until he doesn't have anything left. And then we'll slip Jordan love in. And Rogers is like, I don't want that. Would you please? I, I think he's looking at, you know, what Brady, because a lot of teams have been doing this, right? He looks at what Brady's done in New England and Tampa, where they're all in. He looks at what, you know, even the Steelers have done with Roethlisberger, where they're doing cap manipulation, and they're all in. He's looking at what New Orleans did with Drew Brees, and they're all in. He's looking at teams that are tagging on, you know, fake years at the end of contracts so they could, they could figure out how to get the most talent this very second to be able to compete. And the Packers just aren't doing that. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of the situation that he's in right now um, where he, he just wants to be with a team that is trying to win in the next two years. And that's all they care about. And the Packers just do not operate that way. What, like, what's the financial implication on the salary cap if they do trade Rodgers or if he retires? Like, How big of a burden is that going to be for Green Bay to navigate the next couple off seasons? Well, if he retires, I mean, he's going to have to pay the Packers back and they're just going to free up cap space. I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world in terms of the dead cap. So a lot of people talk about the June one trade. Um, I think post June one does make sense just in terms of how it fits on the salary cap. But if they cut him today, their salary cap would change. Like their salary cap situation would change by like a million dollars. It's not, it's not anything they basically haven't accounted for. They would just, suck this year you know what i mean yeah. unless you know unless hey unless you're you know uh talking about jordan loves athleticism like you guys were ranting about <laughs> living and dying off of jordan loves athleticism i mean what are they gonna do they're not gonna run the cam newton stuff it's not like they're gonna run their quarterback so i don't know how much it matters i don't know if you guys uh follow on twitter.com but aaron Rodgers sure scrambles a lot a lot of people have <laughs> takes about that yeah a lot of throwaways too right not anymore. I, I joked. <laughs> remember, I used to joke that his throwaways, he was just trying to get uh, uh, Kumaro targets on the bench because he was his <laughs> second best receiver. And then all of a sudden, the stuff comes out about Kumaro. And I don't know how much I believe that. Like, yeah, could, could Kumaro have made the dude. team? I'm sure Kumaro could have made the team. I'm sure Kumaro could have given more than what Equinamius St. Brown has done. But I don't think Kumaro probably would have been a starter. We're talking about very smaller things. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> he's related to the Bosa's. He's he's got the whole oh. Bosa family genes. Remember? Oh no! <laughs> it is kind of interesting that Rogers lobbied for for a white receiver to make the team over a black one, and is threatening now to leave the team because they gave his buddy's job to a black receiver. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Get his ass. Line him up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so are you are you team Rogers? Or are you team Packers? Like, where where do you fall? I'm a hundred percent team Rogers. If they let him walk, if they actually trade him, they should have to rename. They, they one thing that the Packers have done. They've rebuilt this, you know, downtown area in Green Bay called Tiletown District. They need to rename it. They're no longer Tiletown. If 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 your whole thing is you know Tiletown, 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 in what is it sixty years? You have two rings with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and one of them wants to leave because they don't think that you're, like, in it to win it? <laughs> How can you call yourself Titletown? Call yourself, like, we're cashing playoff tickets town. 
first round, first round, uh, wild card round home game town. I don't, I don't think <laughs> if you really care about the sustainability of just like, we constantly want to be in the conversation, but like, we're not trying to win at some point. You got to set the tone, man. I mean, are the Packers better now than they were three months ago or whenever they lost to the, the Bucks? Are they a better team right now? Let's, um, let's assume, assume Rogers is happy and content and ready to play. Their offensive line situation is probably as shaky as it's been since like Jeff Saturday was coming in to play center for him, right? But I think their defense probably got better. I think their hire as a defensive coordinator um, is probably better as long as Joe Barry's going to actually run the stuff that the Rams ran. Um, adding Stokes in the draft is definitely going to help them at cornerback um, just for the sake of like Chandon Sullivan isn't playing like every single snap of the game. You know what I mean? So. I think they're probably a little bit better, um, but the offensive line kind of is a little bit of a question to me. We'll see. So here's my question about the Ram stuff. Because the Ram stuff, it's not the same as Mike Pettin, but it's kind of like that same philosophy of lighter boxes and you know pouring resources into the passing. Why is there like such optimism that it's going to be better than Pettin, given what Barry has done in his stops as a defensive coordinator before? Like this was the defensive coordinator for the worst team ever, probably the lines uh you guys know my coverage takes where i'm I'm (laughs) basically a meathead and i'm like you either cover the guy or not i don't understand what we're talking about but um i I think in terms of the front right we're talking about pre-snap post-snap boxes right right and post-snap penton would present pre-snap light boxes and post-snap blitz guys from all sorts of directions right right where i think that's different than green bay um, right now with the, the Rams type of scheme where it's like, no, we're actually trying to play coverage and like cover guys and like not be in man to man. You know what I mean? Like all the yeah. bracket stuff where, where it basically turns into like if anyone's ever played Madden, right? Like cover two man. But like instead of having those two guys be in like deep zones, they're like pattern matching to get like double teams on guys. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, so yeah, I, yeah. I think that's what's really different versus Petten where it's like we're presenting a light box and then – we're blitzing guys from all sorts of angles and our guys are in one-on-one coverage. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So sometimes one-on-one coverage when it's uh, Kevin King, you know, by himself <laughs> against the Buccaneers <laughs> and you give up a touchdown right before the half. Um, I will say this. Eric Stokes has a little Ke- Kevin King too. He does. I think he's a little bit better though. I mean, Kevin King gets hurt all the time. Um, I don't true. think he's a strong run defender. I do think that like, so Here's an interesting conversation, I guess. But like Jair Alexander, right? Everyone knows he's a great defensive back. One thing that the, that Petten did was he basically played Chandon Sullivan in the slot, locked down Kevin King as right corner and locked down Jair Alexander as left corner. I kind of wonder if the Rams, because you you know they played Jalen Ramsey in the slot. They played that you know star position, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, I kind of wonder if Stokes and King are going to be the outside guys now, and Jair is actually going to play in the slot for like the first time in his career. Because I think that fits his skill set better, especially considering um, how the scheme works out. And, you know, Jair plays the run. I mean, he's tough as shit. You know, he's a dog. So now, just looking at the rest of this team, uh, as we talk about for the cornerback position, stuff like that, new defensive coordinator. If Aaron Rodgers is not a member of the Packers for whatever reason, whether it's a trade or uh, retirement, like what is a, a reasonable expectation expectation for this Packers roster without Aaron Rodgers this season? You need to tell me before I can answer this question. Okay, Aaron Rodgers retires. Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith, 
do they ask for a trade? <laughs> right? I mean, those are all guys who are not young, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. like we're talking about Jair Alexander who's going to sign, you know, his second contract. These are guys who are already like on their third contracts basically and thought they were going to play for a contender, you know? So do they stick around? I don't I don't know. Let's say they do stick around and and love is rookie year Josh Allen. Even though I don't think they're the same type of player, really. At least in the run game. But then then what what do you think the Packers win like eight games? Yeah, they're lucky to go five hundred, I think. I'd probably say like six wins or something like that. Um just because the NFC North is messed. You know, so, you'll 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 get two from Detroit because they got me <laughs> running routes out there at wide receiver, but <laughs> From I mean, there, you might as well be playing quarterback too. So, so you might as well just blow it. So, like, are you? How much is Goff making? Like twenty five million this year? I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> Almost Jeopardy if Rodgers doesn't either. I'll do it. I feel like Goff, Goff should just be passed around to the worst possible offense every year for the rest of his career as like a uh, him repaying for those three years we had to pretend he was good under uh, Sean McVay. Because you think the, that's like he he does the Fitzpatrick where it's like we had to watch you. The Bills gave you a massive extension. We were forced to watch you. Now you have to travel around the world. Just keep reliving it every year. But the thing about Fitzpatrick is like he was he's at least entertaining, if not good. Like he's kind of actually productive the last couple of years. But I feel like it's more like a Matt Castle situation where it's just horribly depressing to watch no matter where he ends up. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know if golf is that bad, but it's pretty close. Yeah. I take Goff, Goff. The, the problem with Goff, Goff just frankly cannot operate in the gun, which is so weird that a quarterback from an air raid offense in college cannot operate in the gun at the NFL level, and he has to be under center off of play action. It's just such a weird trajectory that his career has taken. It's going to be fun for people to realize that Mac Jones never ran quick game at, at Alabama, and that's going to be a transition for him, I feel like. Like that's the one thing people yeah. aren't bringing up is like he is he's not this Patriots offense is nothing like what Alabama ran and I think no it's like, he's not running option routes off of RPOs and stuff like that no that's that's not what New England's been doing it, it, that's gonna be I have no idea like camp I feel like if you're gonna like right. watch camp time the most fun install would be watching the Patriots offense you know this summer <laughs> or whatever. Because I don't know how you run the same offense with Cam Newton that you do with Mac Jones. Like you have to have two separate playbooks. Are they going to be? It's going to be so tough to even compare apples to apples there for a quarterback battle. You know what I mean? So segregated camps. Oh my Oof. goodness! <laughs> Get touchy here. All right. <laughs> I'm trying to bait you into the, to saying something. Uh... I'm not trying to get fired. I'm. Technically unemployed right now, but I'm still trying not to get fired. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so if if the, if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, are you just in favor of the Packers just like blowing it up and just starting over pretty much? Like move pretend, the team. Pretend. Move the team. <laughs> <laughs> but I, move I, I the mean, team at the very least. Change the name from Title Town. You'll never be able to get me to call it Title Town ever again. Because I remember I was talking to someone uh, before the draft, like when there were a couple rumors. I guess that. Aaron Rodgers could got he could have gotten flipped for like the third pick to San Francisco, and someone I was talking to someone they're like, well, what do you do with the third pick? And I was like, I'm taking Justin Fields. And they were like, even without seeing Jordan Love play, yeah, yeah. You have you have to remember Green Green Bay drafted Brian Brom in like the early second round after oh, they had already oh made God. the decision to let Favre walk and start Rodgers, right? 
And that yeah. was after seeing Rodgers in camp for what, like three years, seeing Rodgers play that, that uh, primetime game against the Dallas Cowboys. So if they would have traded to the number three pick and not picked a quarterback, I would have been irate. I would have been irate. You can yeah. find it on YouTube, but Mel Kuyper was a big Brian Brom fan. He he said that he likes him better than Aaron Rodgers after that pick. I remember, uh, damn, what's his name? The dude who was on ESPN. He doesn't work there anymore, but he used to say factor back all the time. Uh, he, was, he was on the same Saul's, way. Uh, Merrill Hodge. Hodge, yeah. Hodge, Hodge was the same way. Hodge was like, Aaron Rodgers will never start a game as long as Brian Brown's in Green Bay. You know what? You know what? It might have been Hodge that I'm thinking of. I just like I just like every ESPN draft take is Skyper to me. Fair is fair. We got to check in on McShay. You guys watch the draft on ESPN? Yeah, he was pretty salty at Kuiper on day three. McShay's hurting. I don't know what's going on with McShay. He someone needs to check on him, like life wise. I feel like <laughs> he he was he was. He on looks the- like every, everything's not okay at home with McShay. That's a, it's a tough scene. I, it made me uncomfortable a little bit. He was on Sports Center, I think, after the first or second night, and he was like. And it was like him and uh, and Typer on two separate screens. And he's like, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'll, I'll actually be able to be on set with you. And it was like very bitter. And like Scott Van Pelt like laughed awkwardly. But I think there's something to what you're saying. McShay was not blasting him. There was at one point I remember I was watching day three because that was the only time I had like the audio on because I just like had it in the background. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> there was a point where, you know, Kuiper's top available list is just staying the same as we go through like two rounds. And it came up at some point, and McShay hit him with a, well, that's what happens when your board isn't stacked correctly. And I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> salty McShay coming in here with a, just blasted him. All right. And then, and then McShay made, made a, a rip at Kuiper for never going to the senior bowl, too. I was like, man, these guys are not happy with each other for some reason. All right, I got a hypothetical for you. The Bears call tomorrow, and they're like, Justin Fields for Aaron Rodgers straight up. What do you say? Ooh. Mm. Straight up? Yeah. No. Because the All Bears right. will win a ring. I never want to hear about that. I don't <laughs> I don't want the Bears. No. That's not who the Bears were when I was growing up. This is not what I signed up for. No. I you can't do that. I, I still think we talk about positional value all the time, and we're in a unique spot where like quarterbacks are just being able to play until this part of their careers, right? Like Breeze, Brady, etc. But, like, Rodgers right now is still worth, like, three first-round picks. If we're talking about pure value that he can give you even in, like, the next two years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the quarterback position just matters so much. And I understand, you know, getting Justin Fields, but you can't you can't give the Chicago Bears a ring like that. So, You'll just so what, never be able to live that down. What's a what's a package you would, you would accept? It could be from any team. So – Okay, if we're talking about San Francisco, Oakland, Denver, the only thing that makes sense to me is like Derek Carr and three firsts. If you're getting anything less than Derek Carr and three firsts, I don't want to hear what the compensation is at all. Um, Trey Lance, I guess, is up there. Um, and like Trey Lance and three firsts, but like San Francisco doesn't have those first round picks anymore. So mm-hmm. what are we talking about? Um, but I, I think D- Derek Carr is like the only quarterback that they can get who's like actually a starting caliber quarterback. Like I was talking with uh, Chuck and Steven about this the other day where I'm like, you know, Derek, I'd rather have Derek Carr than Kirk Cousins. I'd rather have Derek Carr than Baker Mayfield. You know, like I think he's a starting caliber quarterback. You just, 
have to get him to actually throw deep balls, you know, <laughs> but I, I think he can actually do it. I, if you watch the Kansas City game from last year, Derek Carr looked like an MVP. You know what I mean? But it, it just doesn't last. Like he doesn't stay in that like aggressive mindset long enough. So I think there's something that can get coached out of that guy. But outside of him, there's nothing that interests me. And if if you're coming into a trade deal and you're not getting back a quarterback, it doesn't matter. Right. It just doesn't matter because you need a starting quarterback. It's the think, NFL in 2021. That's what I, it is. I think with Carr, if he went to Green Bay, it would go one of two ways. He would feel the pressure of, you know, Rodgers and Favre. Didn't he, and he liked those two guys. Like, those were his, like, role model quarterbacks. And then he, like, lets it rip, which is what everyone wants to see. Or he goes the other way, and he's so scared of messing up that he just becomes – I don't even know a, a quarterback more conservative than him. But he becomes the even worse version of himself in Las Vegas. Yeah. I'd, I'd watch it, though. I'd watch it. <laughs> right. Like, entertainment value, I'd watch Car. The other thing is, like, this would be a bad trade, but I would watch it. A Drew Locke-Jordan Love quarterback battle where they're just, like, they rip them <laughs> off the field every single time they do something dumb. But it's, like, just high, two high upside dudes just being bozos, getting ripped out of the field all the time. I'd watch that in terms of entertainment value. The one thing I will say that, like, kind of interests me, and this is, like, 15 things have to happen before we can get there. But if we're in a situation where Rodgers does do the thing that I said, where he tries to get revenge on the Packers, he tries to mess up their their salary cap situation in 2022, he comes back. By then, Russell Wilson will throw a fit, right? He'll he'll have another fit that he throws. Just straight up swap Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. You want offensive linemen? The Packers draft three offensive linemen every year, and they just have them compete. Come here, Russ. Come back home. Come back to Wisconsin, 2022. Who wins that deal? Who's the winner? I think they both win because they both have quarterbacks who end up wanting to actually play for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's true. We'll see. We'll see. Again, that that's a trade that would happen a year from now. So a lot of things have to happen before that's even a conversation. But All right. I got one more question. This is for the room. Anyone can chime in. Do we think Rodgers is petty enough to, if he does play, to not throw games, but maybe not try his best? And if it, not Aaron Rodgers, is there any quarterback in the league that would be what that you think would be good? <laughs> oh man, a quarterback who throw games, not throw games, but you know, like just like not give it his all. Uh, ben Roethlisberger comes to mind. Don't oh, know, yeah. don't know why he comes to mind necessarily, but Ben Roethlisberger not really giving a damn. Uh, well, makes well, sense Roethlis- to me. Roethlisberger was accused of like some old running back of like. I don't. I forget. I think they called like a run or something, and he wanted to do another play, and he fumbled on purpose. Like that was a thing two years ago. I forget I, the running. I believe was. it. Speaking of which, what the Steelers did this year, where they have offensive line problems, they can't run the ball, and they drafted a running back and a tight end who can't block, and they have that surrounding Ben Roethlisberger who just checks down the ball all the time. I mean, we're talking about guys who aren't aggressive. I don't know if people watched the Steelers last year, but even when they were undefeated, it was like a fake undefeated because all it was was like dink and dunk, yak plays. I mean, I think that Steelers team is going to be pretty bad this year, and I don't think people realize how bad that team is going to be. But that's a whole other thing. My favorite part of last season was checking next-gen stats after every Roethlisberger game. Like, his time to throw went down every week. Like, at one point, he was like under two seconds. It was amazing. And his, like, average (laughs) depth of target was like three just and now Matt, Matt Canada is his offensive coordinator now. And like people are excited about that. But I'm like, you can't do the same like 
shifts and motions that you can at the college level, like legally, like you can literally <laughs> not do the same exact things. And then like they're running jet sweeps, they're running play action. Like Roethlisberger's one, he doesn't have legs right now. I think that's pretty obvious to everyone too. It's not like he's trying to throw deep balls. And then like the other thing is like about the Matt Canada offense, like he had Nathan Peterman throwing like shovel passes for touchdowns <laughs> against Clemson, but like Roethlisberger's not going to run the option. No. So like I, I don't understand how all this fits together. You know what I mean? I just don't understand really what the Steelers' plan is. But Mike Tomlin should deserve a Medal of Honor um, for what he's gone through in Pittsburgh and the fact that that locker room hasn't blown up. And when Tomlin eventually gets fired after this year, when it's a train wreck, he should be a head coach immediately. Yeah, I I honestly thought he deserved Coach of the Year votes. Not this year, but last year when like like you had your your backup quarterback get accused of saying a racial slur on the field. You had the Antonio uh, round stuff that happened in the the offseason and then they made the playoffs still. You're You remember when like Ben Roethlisberger's radio show? Was like a narrative. Remember that? You remember when Villanueva was coming out of the tunnel because the rest of the team was staying inside for the anthem? Like Tomlin's been through shit, man. He's been he's been through some stuff. He's seen stuff. And the fact that that locker room didn't blow up, Bud Dupree was running through Le'Veon Bell's locker, like grabbing his <laughs> shoes and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that offensive line was in rebellion when Le'Veon Bell didn't show up to camp. Like. But he, Tomlin's dealt with stuff. That's an NFL head coach, man. He should never be available. So if he does get canned after this year, if that if it's going to be as bad as I think it is, like Tomlin should immediately find a job somewhere. And like three years ago, people thought AB was like this hardworking, humble receiver. <laughs> and now like, uh, like right after he left the Steelers, that just like went imploded on itself. So if you're going to compare like coaching jobs, like compare Tomlin to Gruden, and John Gruden just got a 10-year deal like two years ago. And Tomlin has to deal with like Kerry Bradshaw calling for him to be fired every couple months. Pretty crazy. Yeah, Terry Terry had Rogers takes too. Did you see that? Sure, Terry, Terry's like, sit down and shut up. I love Terry, man. Terry's, Terry's a wild boy. There's still clips of uh, – I remember I saw it one day on like YouTube. There was the clips of like when Marino was coming out. And Terry Bradshaw's like, who the hell is this Dan Marino? <laughs> <laughs> I want I want uh, Terry Bradshaw's top 10 quarterbacks, not only of all time, but right now. I would be so fascinated to see who would put in the top 10. Dude, Terry Bradshaw, I don't know. I, I watched, watched the Fo- games. I, I watched, yeah, I was going to say, I watched the Fox pregame show just off of like entertainment value. I don't think it's any good, like in terms of like analysis, but he just says wild stuff all the time. And I can assure you, Terry Bradshaw does not watch the NFL when he is not. <laughs> I promise you. There's no way he's watching more than two NFL games a week. His exposure to the NFL is like the highlights he reads every halftime. And that's it. That's Absolute all he knows. Producers <laughs> in his ears. Yeah, yeah, that's all he knows. He's only He doesn't watch the NFL. He's only had the NFL explained to him. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> What what other takes do you have, Justin? We we got it. We get, we got to give you a platform for to get all of these out. Um. All right. Uh, I have a list of takes. If you want me to just go through them quickly? We do. Yeah, I do. Uh, how how do you think Alex Trebek would have felt if they would have drafted his replacement in 2019? Probably not good, right? <laughs> <sighs> Especially because he was very sick. That's yeah, we messed up. 
Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of Gutekunst's last draft in Green Bay? <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good one. It wasn't great. What did we, I forget what we gave it. What grade we gave it? Uh, I don't know. You guys, you got. Hey, I respect you guys because you guys graded them kind of hard. We graded uh, everyone the, hard. The draft. That's what I mean. You guys didn't just give all A's and B's. I respect that because that's kind of how I operate. Like, if you're going to say someone flunked a draft, at least give them a damn D or something. You can't be like, yeah, the worst draft was a B minus. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. Grow up. Um, Justin Fields. We, we were good. Uh, Justin Fields. Is he the best non Packers quarterback in the division since Dante Culpepper? Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is. Like, the, right? It's like, it comes what, off as a hot what, take when you first hear it. What's the bar there? Like Jay Cutler, Kirk Cousins, Stafford, Stafford, Stafford. Right. That's a little bit of Stafford slander, but oh yeah, yeah. But who cares? Yeah, that that's for the most part my take. Um, I think uh, Roger. I mean, so we're talking about general managers and Gutekunst and like the value of Gutekunst. I already talked about how Rogers is looking at these guys with basically no experience. It's like, yeah, I'll go win with them. Jason Light traded up in the second round for a kicker who flunked out of the NFL and he just won a ring. Like general managers don't matter that much, man. It's the quarterbacks and the people that want to play with the quarterbacks at the end of the day. So, yeah, I agree. Great, with that. Those are basically my only unsung takes left on this situation. Just what what a mess. What a pickle the Packers have found themselves in. All Do right. we have to pretend that Jason Light? Or however you say his name is a good GM now because he won a Super Bowl. Because this was like one of the worst GMs in the league, and that was a consensus. Like he drafted two kickers, not just one kicker. He drafted two kickers in like a three-year span. Well, and, the worst one was Aguayo because Aguayo couldn't yeah. kick beyond forty yards, which is half of the kicks in the NFL. And he traded up in the second round for him. That's yeah. the toughest one. Where it's like, do you even know what you're evaluating here, and why were you so confident in it? See, this is that, that's like my favorite thing is when like Twitter is like so mad about something and then it actually turns out to be right. Like it's the opposite of the Josh Allen thing. Like everyone hated Josh Allen. Now he was like an MVP candidate. But like with him, with the Bills starting Nathan Peterman, like I, that's probably the best example of him throwing five interceptions in the first half. But those are my favorite moments. And, and Jace in the Aguayo situation, like he got cut before his second season. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I root for chaos. And I might have to be Team Chaos, Team uh, Red Zone if the Packers let Aaron Rodgers walk. But what is what does Aaron Nagler do with his Sundays if, if the Packers move out of Green Bay? I don't know. Are they going to move? Are they going to move? What is no, I'm just saying if your situation, your situation plays out. comes through. I don't know. <laughs> me, me, yeah, me, me, and uh, me and Aaron will talk it out. We'll talk it out every Sunday. Just go through it and be like. Man, remember the good old days when we were just punting years of a quarterback's prime? That was crazy. I'm just impressed that uh, Justice made it through this whole thing without falling for any Steven's traps. Yeah. I'm not uh, – I have to deal – I deal with – we have a group uh, chat together. I, I know how to avoid Steven's traps. I know how to avoid screenshots. I got the reps in. <laughs> well, before we let you go, is there, uh, is there anything you're working on or are you just kind of chilling? I'm like in between jobs right now. So you can find me on Twitter.com at J-U-M-O-S-Q. Other than that, I'm just kind of harassing Chuck and Steven on a day-to-day basis. So that's it. Thanks for joining us, man. This is great. Yeah, man. Anytime. All right. Do you guys think Justice is going to be okay? You think? No. You know him better, so. No. He's not going to be okay. <laughs> Has 
stress I mean, has dude, ever been okay? No, just look at dude. Just look at his Twitter account and <laughs> he's posting, and that's not the Twitter account of a well man. There's a lot of dog biting. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of dogs going on. That's, yeah, he's in pain. Uh, uh, <laughs> seems like a man who I. Uh, he I, he thinks about like green. I've never thought about Green Bay as a place uh, as much as he brought. Like, it doesn't really register to me that like Green Bay is an actual place. Like he talked about it, burning it down, renaming part of it, moving the team. Like, it's, he's really he's got a lot of pain going on. Right I, now. One thing I wanted to point out during that conversation was nobody else calls it Title Town except for Packers. <laughs> so he doesn't have to worry about that. We're no, no one else is referring to it. Yep. <laughs> it's like he's like marketing like i where i lived growing up it called themselves baseball town one day like there's nothing about it that's baseball town like nothing at all like it's just marketing like, you've but, won uh, two titles in like the last 50 years come on now uh rough poor packers fans all right thanks for joining us we are uh i guess we're moving a little bit toward the off seasons uh, a really fun time of year for us because we can take a deeper look at uh, schematic things, personalities, uh, you know, whatever sort of driving the NFL. It's it's a chance for us to step back from the day-to-day fray of what's going on and work on some projects. So I know we're excited about that, uh, but we'll continue bringing you uh, the counter probably once a week, I'm thinking, uh, middle of the week uh, with updates and whatever's going on and what we're working on. Uh, so hope you'll stick with us for that. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Chuck is at Forverts. Steven's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. And then obviously read us on the web, fdw.usadaday.com. Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, no, it'll be good to you know dive into some of those deeper ideas and also unplug the brain a little bit from the football brain because yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a grind. The NFL, man, it really just takes over the calendar. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.